1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, China will issue 1 trillion yuan or some 140 billion U.S. dollars of government bonds to support the economy. And IMF says Germany is set to overtake Japan as the number three economy in the world. And now let's begin with our top story. China plans to issue 1 trillion yuan or some 140 billion US dollars in additional government bonds in the last quarter of this year. The move is to support the rebuilding of disaster hit areas and raise the country's disaster relief capabilities. The bonds will be transferred to local governments, with half to be used before the end of this year and half in the next year. The move is estimated to drive the country's fiscal deficit ratio for this year to 3.8%. And up from the target of three percent set at the very beginning of this year. So why does China take this move now, and to what extent can this help to bolster the economic recovery? For more on this, join us on the line now are uh, Yan Liang, professor of economics, Vilamet University, and also mm-hmm. Aina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Aina, first of all, uh, China plans to issue one trillion yuan in the uh, additional government bonds in the last quarter of this year. So why do you think it's this move now and what's the purpose of it?
0: Well, you can't see this move just by itself. Uh, Obviously, you you already gave the uh, purpose of it. This is uh, for emergency aid. Uh, It's investment-led growth, um, but it has a return uh, to the extent that they uh, create drainage systems and things like that. They're going to prevent severe floods in the future, which are becoming more and more occurring more and more often but you you also have to look at uh, they uh, the government asked the banks to roll over um over a trillion uh RMB of bonds uh that are coming due this year and uh, in the next quarter um they've also put restrictions on 12 uh, areas in China. In terms of uh, projects that they can do, they basically have to get uh, central government approval. So the, these are very, very strong signals that the government is acting in its, its mind very prudently to address um, headwinds.
1: And so, yeah, observers say this extra bond will be allocated to the local governments through the transfer payments in a move that is uh, expected to optimize the local debt structure and to, to ease the fiscal burden of local governments. So. How could this help to address the problems in the real economy? Can you explain it further?
2: Um, I think there are some people argue this is long overdue. We should have had a larger, a large fiscal stimulus like this to uh, continue to bolster the economy. Um, despite, you know, we did achieve the 5.3% of growth rate in the first three quarter which means China is pretty much on the way to achieving that 5% of growth target for this year. But still, some people believe this is necessary um, to continue to provide the the growth impetus for this year and the early next year. I do think that this current bond issuance is very helpful in, like you mentioned, improve the debt structure. Because when you look at China, the public debt is still relatively low. Uh, with central government debt is about 21% of the GDP, and local government debt is about 57%. And together, it's lower than other G20 countries, um, maybe except for Germany, Korea, and and Australia. Um, But still, um, you know, China has a lot more fiscal space um, to provide the kind of fiscal stimulus to the
1: economy. So, I know in the third quarter China's economy grew by 4.9% year-on-year, beating the market expectations. So, do you think the economic recovery will continue and what are the main, you know, emerging growth drivers in the economy from your perspective?
0: Well, uh, growth drivers are, are really internal. Um, a, a lot of I agree with everything that Yan uh, uh, said. I would uh, add that the Chinese government is trying to instill confidence. Um, the savings rate is at a record high and to grow. Uh, people are just you know pulling in their expenditures. And what the government wants to do is not have everyone just spend wildly but to uh, start putting some of that uh, money to work and into into the economy and stimulating from the inside. So there are a lot of uh, issues there, but right now it's, uh, I think main issue is getting confidence. That is uh, the driver behind this. You do have industries, obviously, uh, you know, we talked about them before in terms of electric vehicles, uh, green energy, um, certain areas of the uh, export market. But uh, as I said, um, Things are very uncertain right now, globally, because of the conflicts that exist uh, currently. Mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah, actually, how do you think important is a digital economy and green transition for China's economy now?
2: Right. I think both are very important and they are the sort of driving forces um, for the Chinese economy. Um, So they're important. Both for the demand side, but also for the supply side, upgrading and p- productivity growth. So the digital economy, for example, is a great drive for you know online retail sales, for example, um, which is an indication of China's consumption uh, demand. And so that retail sales have been up by five point five percent in the first. Uh, in, in September in September, and um, in the first three quarters, the retail sales have gone up by 6.8%. So, and a lot of these retail sales have to do with, you know, e-commerce was to, has to do with the, you know, the digital ecosystem that allow people to buy online, to pay easily with digital payments. And so that is super important from the demand side. Um, and also for the supply side, um, because all this has to do with how we can upgrade um, the supply side and to promote more productivity growth. So for example, you also talked about green um, energy. So this green transformation is not only an inevitable, I think, response um, to climate change, but it really helped to not only boost you know, China's energy independence. Right now, you know, China's uh, renewables account for um, over 50 percent of the total power capacity. So this is a great progress um, on China's part. Um, so that is very important for supply side because you do need very reliable and cheap energy source and sustainable, right? In order to propel um, its continuous growth. Um, and last but not the least, I also think that you know these digital economy and also uh, green technologies they really allow China to um, to enable China to climb up the you know technological ladder to give to to obtain some sort of leading edge in the tech sector. So, one example is, you know, when you look at the traditional ICE, the condition, the internal combustion vehicles, um, a lot of the advanced capitalist countries like Japan or Germany, they already had a really high, you know, um, level in terms of the technology. But EV, um, this is where, you know, China can really uh, become the leading, uh, the, the, the technological leader. And so, I think all of these present really good opportunities for China um, to promote its economic growth. But also to climb up the technological uh, ladder, it also makes the economy much more sustainable in the future.
1: Mm. So Aina, what do you think is the significance of the digital economy and green technology for China's economy? And uh, what kind of role of the private sector in China's economy and especially in these industries?
0: Well, uh, basically everything Yan said, um, you know, from the digital economy point of view, it it is about China's competitiveness in the long run as wages continue to rise, which is good. That means more disposable income, Uh, more disposable income means more purchases, more purchases means that you can drive the consumption economy. Um, But in order to uh, maintain your manufacturing, you have to be much more efficient. And that's uh, what China has been able to do with their cluster um, uh, development areas. Uh, So, you know, if you're in one industry or another, everything that you need is uh, basically a stone's throw away. Uh, This has been very useful. But now, uh, you know, for the eighth year in a row, China is the leading uh, buyer and installer of uh, automation robots. Um, and that is helping to drive down costs, et cetera. Uh, You also see uh, a lot of companies that do need a higher labor quotient moving westward where there are good policies, but that that will have a limit at some point uh, as wages catch up. So uh, the digital economy is really important uh, in terms of uh, making the best of what you had. And I think uh, one area where it's going to extend is into the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, countries, you I know, mean, we have 152 countries. Um, they, small and medium-sized business entities are the lifeblood of their con- uh, com- uh, countries. Uh, they would love to be able to have better and uh, cheaper direct access to the Chinese market and vice versa. And that's where a lot of this kind of digital payment uh, platforms are are going to be very, very, very helpful. Mm. Also, I mean, there's there's simply the export Uh, green energy. China is dominant in both of of a um, photovoltaic and also wind power. Um, and hopefully at some point, uh, you know, uh, greener energy like um, hydrogen, et cetera, uh, and even nuclear. So those are areas where you can continue to have exports if you're delivering uh, the highest uh, quality at the lowest price. Mm
1: -hmm. And so, yeah, so for the external environment, uh, you know, uh, Ina mentioned a lot of uncertainties, but what do you think are the main factors that will impact China's economy this and next year?
2: Right. So I think as we know, um, you know, the United States is continuing waging the trade war and tech war um, against China. So right now, over 66 percent of the Chinese exports to the United States are still under the punitive tariffs. Uh, and the U.S. is now doubling down and enforcing even more tightly some of the ban of the high tech um, the, the technologies like the semiconductor chips and also A.I., um, and also some investment bans um, to China's, you know, again, strategic uh, technological uh, sectors like the AI, like the quantum computing, um, and also like semiconductors. That said, I think, you know, these kinds of constraints on China will simply provide more, you know, impetus for China's, um, you know, drive for self-independence, for more entrepreneurial investments and innovations in these technologies. Um, so I agree with what I know was saying, right? This is China is this very innovative and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh, economy. So with all this external pressure, I think this would only make China you know from the government um, to individuals to entrepreneurs to businesses um, they will simply mobilize even more effectively in order to invest more in their own you know technological self sufficiency um, and then i think you know there are also many of other geopolitical um, risks um, so we know that now there are currently two major regional conflicts going on and so uncertainty is heightened because of this. And so that also shows in, for example, foreign direct investments show up in trade data. Um, You know, uh, the IMF has pointed out that, you know, last year uh, countries uh, imposed around 3,000 protective policies So all this just means that the external environment will be uncertain, um, not only to China, um, but to many of other countries in the world. So I agree with Aina. So, you know, one way is China needs to, you know, strengthen its own economy and develop from within. But at the same time, you know, make friendships, make partners outside of China. The BRI is one of such means to you know, cooperate and partner with other countries um, to cope with some of the global and domestic challenges.
1: Mm. So I know, so we are talking about the trade and economic ties between China and the U.S. And this week, actually, uh, the California governor, Kevin Newsom, was in China for a week-long visit, and very important, and there are just so many business communities' interactions between the two sides. So tell us more about your thoughts on what this could mean in terms of warming up of the trade and investment possibilities, which has been, you know, suffering as a result of geopolitics.
0: Well, it's it's always good to have chat, but the the real question is why is Newsom um, showing up in China at this point? I mean, he's a second term governor; he's basically term limited out, means he can't run again. He is uh, thinking about other offices, Senate, and probably president. He's already been making extensive moves across the United States, contacting people, going to the traditional areas. Uh, where you, you know, they have early primaries and things like this. So it's quite possible this is uh, as much uh, political as economic. But in terms of the economics, um, yes, uh, California has been ahead of the curve in in the United States in terms of environmental push. Uh, They're much greener than the rest of the United States. They have um, much more stringent uh, requirements in terms of cars, um, roads, environmental impact. Mm. Um, So there's real possibilities there. But just remember... At this juncture, the national uh, policies uh, regarding tech would interfere uh, with any kind of uh, substantive um, exchange. Uh, It can only be areas where there isn't too much controversy. Um, The people-to-people exchange, I think, is very, very important. Mm -hmm. But right now, I mean, there's a lot of people um, in the United States as well as China who are a little concerned about going to... Um, uh, different parts of California, especially L.A. and San Francisco, um, you have very aggressive homeless people on the sidewalks. Um, You know, and it's not uh, it's it's, people don't necessarily feel very safe. So there's a there's a lot of uh, room for effort. But the question is, what's going to come of it?
1: So, yeah, actually, the California tops the US EV adoption. This is, uh, you know, I read from the publication. So do you think there are a lot of room or plenty of room for both sides to cooperate on the electric vehicle industry?
2: Absolutely, I think as far as technology is concerned, yes, the two sides definitely have great room to um, to cooperate, and also um, I think California, just like China, um, they are realizing this imminent sort of danger and 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 uh, challenge of climate change. That's why I think, as Aina pointed out, California is made very much leading uh, ahead of other states in terms of the climate transition and climate you know responses, and so. I think you know they definitely have the kinds of drive to cooperate with China, but again, I think the difficulty is the is the the national, so the federal level politics, right? So, um, you know, China's EV does not have uh, much of penetration in the U.S. at all, partly due to you know the the tariffs. The Chinese automobiles in the U.S. is facing you know 27.5 percent of the tariff rate. This is prohibitively high. Um, for Chinese exports um, to the United States, um, which is totally not helpful um, for the U.S. to, you know, transition uh, quickly right into the EV uh, market, and also because the U.S. has um, high, you know, regulations in terms of the EV car standards, and so that also provide uh, that also presents another barrier for China to to be able to. Um, you know, join the U.S. market. But that said, I think, you know, New specifically visited Shenzhen um, Mm -hmm. and check out the 100% electric bus um, to see how the system operates. Um, They are also very interested in China's offshore wind power facilities and how it, you know, how China is able to invest in the offshore wind power um, which now China accounts for fifty percent of the global capacity in that wind power um, industry. So I think you know, uh, Gavin Newsom is really coming to China to learn a great deal from the Chinese experience. Um, but of course, you know, China can also learn from California in terms of you know how to put the electricity on grid, how to put them in, how to put the renewable energies in use. Um, I think in all these areas that you know the two sides could really learn from each other. Um, But again, um, we're just hoping that, you know, without a uh, federal level, um, you know, political change or economic change, um, some of these state uh, level uh, cooperation could still bear some fruits.
1: Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villemet University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, IMF says Germany is set to overtake Japan as the number three economy in the world. Stay with us.
0: D a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Welcome, I'm Elav Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, You can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today.
1: You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The latest forecast by the International Monetary Fund says Germany will overtake Japan in the year 2023 as the number three economy in the world. A major factor of Japan's projected slip is said to be a slide in the Japanese yen against the U.S. dollar and the euro. So first of all, the IMF forecast shows that uh, Germany's nominal GDP is likely to overtake Japan's this year. So how do you view it? And we know some of the main reason is the currency valuation, so could you explain it further?
2: Right, absolutely. So, the reason that, you know, in terms of the GDP size in the nominal terms that Germany is going to overtake Japan is because the Japanese yen is approaching, you know, around 160 yen per euro, which is the 33-year low. And so, when you convert the Japanese uh, yen GDP into in dollar terms, and you can convert the German euro you know, GDP into the dollar in this comparable terms, then Japan's economy would look smaller than Germans. And so that is the reason why they're going to switch place. Um, Germany is going to become the third largest economy and Japan is going to be the fourth. Um, so the question then is, you know, will this kind of currency uh, status continue on? Um, and one of the reason that uh, Yen has slipped so much is because the Japanese Interest rates, the policy rate, has remained very low um, mm. because Japan has struggled with, you know, deflation, and they need to uh in a way stimulate the economy so their policy rate as of you know now um, or in the most recent years um, have been negative in the negative territory so negative 0.1 percent whereas germany as we know they were fighting inflation their inflation rate was over 8.6 percent last year and so the ecb has been increasing the interest rates um now it's around 4.5 4.75 percent and so that creates a large interest rate differentials, which then caused the euro to appreciate and the Japanese yen to depreciate. And so that created these kinds of currency, um, you know, differentials in terms of the exchange rates. And mm. so. I don't know if this is going to, I don't think um, this kinds of um, uh, large, uh, you know, currency exchange rate value changes will continue on. One of the reasons is because, you know, Germany's economy is actually uh, predicted to be in recession. Uh, In terms of real GDP growth, it's going to be negative 0.5% in 2023, according to the IMF. So the Germany economy is struggling. Its inflation rate has gone down somewhat um, to about 5%. So, I don't think the ECB is going to continue to raise rates, and on Japan's point, uh, uh, part, I think the Japanese uh, central bank is probably going to um, uh, stop, keep the interest rate that low, or is going to start to uh, increase interest rates because their inflation rate now has gone up to about 3%. Um, so, I think that kinds of, you know, interest rate differentials and exchange rate value changes, uh, will not continue on at the current rate. Mm-hmm. So that means, you know, you're probably not going to see Germany stay on the third place for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if, that's the, the, even if that's the case, I don't think they're going to have a such a wide um, gap
1: between the two economies. So Aina, so how do you compare Germany's uh, economic structure with the Japanese one? How different are they?
0: Well, up to this point, uh, a lot of this can be explained by the the last couple of decades, Uh, Germany's been growing at um, 1.2% increase in GDP, whereas uh, Japan is at 0.7%. And, you know, obviously, over time, that erodes it, regardless of currency fluctuations. But going forward, I, I'm as deeply concerned as Jan is about this issue about um, uh, deindustrialization, especially in Germany. Uh, the people I've talked to said it's, it's virtually impossible uh, to produce there if you're relying on energy as a large component. Also wages much higher. Uh, than in, in other places. Um, so, you know, based on that, um, so many German companies are, 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 are moving out. They don't have a choice if they want to be world competitive. So it's, it's, uh, it's an odd thing where the developed world is the one which is, you know, basically dragging down economic growth mm. uh, around the world. I mean, I was just thinking about this: uh, the U.S. and 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 China. You know, they said, "Oh, China is going to go from three percent to three point eight percent in terms of um, the deficit this year." Well, compare that to the U.S., which has a over just over six trillion dollar budget, but is already two over two trillion dollars above that. That's over thirty percent. Um, So you're you're starting to see uh, not only the emergence of a multipolar world, but the economic drivers seem to be moving uh, towards the middle powers, uh, BRICS nations, etc. That's where uh, the growth is, whereas, as I said, developed countries continue to lag uh, behind. Mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah. So are you optimistic about Germany's economy? What challenges do you think does Germany's economy face?
2: Right, I pretty much agree with Aina. I think for Germany, um, not only they have these uh, you know more cyclical factors like you know their energy crises because they rely so much on Russia, 30% of the oil coming from from Russia and so they were hard hit by this energy crisis. But also they have a lot of structural issues. I think so is Japan when you put this to you know really sort of advanced Ah, uh, capitalist economy together, you do st- you through see a lot of similarities in terms of weakness. For example, both countries were slow to adopt the digital economy. Mm. Um, they do share relatively strong manufacturing sectors but again they're slow to catch up with you know the green transition the green technology the next generation innovations um, and both countries also lack somewhat their their the domestic consumption demand and they also uh, both are aging rapidly So all of these present really grave challenges for both economies. And so they really need to sort of get their acts together. Um, They need to be more innovative. They need to really strengthen their own, you know, sort of green transition to be more energy self-sufficient Um, they also have to try to fight ways to boost domestic demand. So, um, I agree with Ina. Um, It looks like um, the growth momentum has been relatively, um, you know, weakened in both countries. Now, Japan, this year, growth is going to be relatively higher. Um, The IMF IMF is forecasting 2%, um, and that's largely due to the increase in inbound tourism and also increase in their automobile exports um, which was basically from the low base um, from the pandemic years um, germany again continued to really struggled with the energy crises these the industrialization and then now the high interest rates um, that could cripple their long-term you know investment prospect um, so i think you know facing all these challenges i think it will be wise um, for you know both japan and germany to Putting it really their economic interests first um, instead of you know uh, taking the US's lead and to the couple were de-risk or, you know, doing all kinds of counterproductive, um, um, you know, things to put their economy further down to the slope.
1: Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamat University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.